The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. And welcome wrestling fans to the Ice Hour. This podcast is aimed at promoting the world of Division Three college wrestling and is named for the late Hall of Fame coach Dave Eisenhower. Here we'll talk about topics and news that's relevant to those who compete for the love of the sport in Division Three. The Ice Hour is sponsored by My House Sports Gear. Check out their line of wrestling gear and apparel at MyHouseSportsGear.com. Subscribe using your favorite podcasting app by going to MattTalkOnline.com slash ice. Now up on the Ice Hour, episode 20. Jason Bryan here with you, and we're we're gonna go east, and we're gonna we're gonna understand what it takes to be a wrestling coach, not just for ten years or twenty years or thirty, nearly fifty years. Is a King's College head wrestling coach, Ned McGinley is our guest today. Coach McGinley, uh, first of all, congratulations on your stellar career as a coach, and, and welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So let's just let's just cut to the chase. Forty eight years of college coaching. What was the key to your longevity? I, I guess I enjoy it. I love it. Uh, in fact, right now, uh, I've noticed some drops in enthusiasm, so that was my my reason for leaving. I probably could have easily hung in, but that's not my way. Yeah, as I'm, I'm doing some research on when you got when you started there, and I believe it was 1968 was the first year of the program? That's right. We started the program here in 1968, a new wrestling program at a time when it was getting a little dodgy in wrestling. You know, what do you remember about King's College and, and you know the approach that it took to start a program back in the late '60s, and and how you got approached for that job, and what made you ultimately take it? <laughs> well, I, really, I was a when I when I was approached for the job, I was 24. Shortly thereafter, I was 25, and I had uh, this is my hometown. Really, I live here even today, 48 years later. And uh, I was raised across the river in Kingston and wrestled there. And, and so when I was asked at a, at a meeting between a new athletic director, King's College had decided to expand their sports programs, especially by swimming and wrestling. And when they made that decision, they, they were interviewing a lot of coaches, and I hadn't had the experience except my own wrestling experience in a year with John Reese, who was the Wilkes coach. They asked me if I would take the job, I think because I was a younger man. Most of the people who had applied were a little further along. And so they, it was a younger man, and it was an all-boys school with about oh, 800 students, and they were trying to, they just built a brand-new gymnasium. And uh, that, was the, that was the impetus to get a wrestling program going. And they did that. And uh, it was, uh, I, I won't say it was early, but I had 20-some kids at the first practice, so uh, you know, considering the size of the school, et cetera, that was quite a first practice. Unfortunately, somebody was badly injured that year. They broke their leg at the first practice, but we still continued on. <laughs> well, you mentioned it was it was an all-male school at the time. Now you see a, a diverse offering of men's and women's sports. And what was that change like when, when women started being admitted to King's College? It was only a couple of years later. And then first they came in smaller groups, and the, but then very shortly, it was growing quickly. We still have a majority, 51 to 49 men, but at so many schools now that is a uh, a uh, an opportunity that people don't have. Some some schools being up to 60% female, 
And and that actually gives wrestling an opportunity to, to grow again, in Division Three especially. When we go back and look at the foundations of the program, uh, when King's College is going to start, and, and you wrestled at Wilkes, and for those who don't know, that's what, about a mile and a half away? Those two schools are about that close to one another? They're, they're more like 150 yards away. 150 yards? <laughs> <laughs> that close. Well, the two schools have gotten closer and closer as time has gone on, and now we actually share a bookstore in the, in the middle of the town, in the middle of the city of Wilkesburg. We actually share a bookstore, and that's about a, a block from their campus and a Probably only a block from ours. We're within a. We're probably within, like I said, 150 yards of each other. Yeah, very close. What were those early conversations like with, with John Reese? Who's you know his name is on the John Reese stools at Wilkes. He's kind of an institution. You're going to take the job and be like, Coach, I'm now competing against you. <laughs> well, we were at the time. Wilkes was Division One, so there was no direct competition. And every once in a while, he'd have somebody coming in. We'd go down the street and either wrestle them or at times we, we participated in a scrimmage with them. But we didn't compete until much later on, much, much later on, when uh, when they came back to D3, actually. So it wasn't that. But John Reese and I are close. In fact, uh, John Reese's 90th birthday is coming up on April 2nd, and we're, we're having a get-together of the Wilkes alumni. And last year... We had a big dinner at the end of the year, a big fundraising dinner for Wilkes Athletic Department, and uh, John was honored by the by the college. So we're still close. We still talk. Yeah, and, and when you you look back at your career, how much did you go to coach and your coach? Even though you've coached so many hundreds and hundreds of athletes that come to you for advice, how often did you go to your coach for advice? Even as your career advanced on in your thirty thirty and fortieth years at the program. Well, I, I think I, 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 with John, especially with John, you know, there were always organizational things. And luckily, you know, I was one of those guys who was always the coach's practice person. He would demonstrate on me. And in high school, after I got by my sophomore year, I was the guy who they demonstrated on. So I, I felt like I was uh, deeply involved with both coaches. And uh, John has just always been a good mentor for me. Uh, you know, the last time I saw him, we walked a couple blocks. He's still driving, so we walked a couple blocks to get his car. I didn't want him to go alone. And uh, so we, we walked, just the two of us talking one evening. So I still go back to him. I guess that was about 30 days ago or about, oh, maybe maybe six weeks ago. A couple of things I want to throw out there just to, just to put a time frame on this, and I'm sure the old jokes never get old, uh, pardon the pun, but <laughs> 1968. Here are some things that happened during 1968. I just want to get maybe maybe a quick recap of what you remember about them. I'm gonna, here's a blast of them. On the political side of things, there was a lot of turmoil around the world. 68 was the launch of the Tet Offensive during the Vietnam War. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. Bobby Kennedy was shot. Uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos with the Olympics and, and the fists in the air in Mexico City. These are all huge things in history. What do you remember about that era and that time? and what, what the landscape of college athletics was as well. Well, college athletics was kind of pushed aside by all of the pressures of life, uh, of all the things that were going on. And I've always been highly uh, politically interested. So I was aware of all of the things that were going on very much so. And, of course, Vietnam was a great worry then. Uh, a couple of years later, my brother Terry, who was five years younger than me, uh, dropped out of school his first year and, of course, was immediately drafted and ended up in Vietnam as a medic for a year. 
so uh, you know I was extremely aware of, of what was going on and what were the the potentials for the uh, you know what was happening in the world and how could it it didn't press on us too much I mean well, let's face it here in in Wilkesboro a couple of years later we would have a a flood 1972 so that became a dominant thing in this area as you try to clean up after that and uh, but the, but those things that were happening in the world stage were really changing a lot of things. And as far as I'm concerned, many of the, those things change for the better afterwards. But uh, it was a, it was a very difficult time period, and seemed like it was going to be almost impossible to get through. And here we are, uh, 48 years later. So we got through them. A couple things on the sports landscape that that were interesting when you go back and look at it. Do you remember watching Super Bowl too? Because that was the Packers Chiefs. Yeah, I, I do remember it, and I know we I know we watched. I actually missed the first Super Bowl. Uh, my wife and, and a friend of hers insisted we go to this function, and we went there, and, and we, we were trying to find a TV the whole day, <laughs> but we never did succeed. And uh, it, it was a friend of mine, the, uh, Mary Ellen's friend was uh, a guy who wrestled with me in high school, and so we were very interested in, this, of course, the sporting event, and, and we never we never ever did see that. And I don't think there's a good video of it in the first Super Bowl. The second one was very good in, in that, uh, uh, what was this, some of the hammer or something? And he was in the AFL and he was supposed to, you know, bring everybody to heel. But I think the Packers kind of bounced him around a little bit, if I remember correctly. I wouldn't remember correctly because it was 11 years before I was born. So, again, there's another old <laughs> joke for you, Coach. That's the truth, too. I look at a lot of these things and I have to laugh. I really do have to laugh. Yeah. That's, that's the joy of getting older. Another thing that's interesting now in hindsight, O.J. Simpson, pardon the pun, runaway Heisman Trophy winner. And now you look back and be like, yeah, I remember watching that guy. And then all of a sudden to see what happens, what what's up with the juice now is uh, is much different. Do you yeah, he was a spectacular football player, no question. I mean, he was breakaway speed and he had power. I mean, he rushed, I think, for 2,000 yards in the NFL at one point. But he was, uh, and he seemed like a, a guy who, who deserved to do well, you know, very personable, et cetera. Uh, what happened, uh, nobody knows. These, these things are tough. They're very difficult. From an entertainment standpoint, we're going to sit, sit here on 68 for just a little bit longer, Coach, because other things that came <laughs> out, uh, Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay, all along the watchtower by Jimi Hendrix, Hey Jude by the yeah. Beatles, Inagata DeVita by Iron oh, Butterfly. Yeah. Movies, 2001, A Space Odyssey, The Odd Couple, and Planet of the Apes. All of these things were brand new, much like the King's College Wrestling Program in 1968. Yeah, we weren't quite as big, <laughs> but they were they were something special, uh, especially Otis Redding. I, that was a great song. That was a great song. I still remember that song today. I could probably almost sing along with the music. Yeah, I would recognize it right away. Funny thing, I never really saw uh, 2001 in Space Odyssey, and I kept, you know, trying. I probably should go rent that tonight, try to catch up. <laughs> I don't know where you can rent a movie anymore, Coach. I, think. <laughs> I live across the street from a video store, actually. Yeah, I'll probably have to download it from Hulu or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, as we move forward and, and get back to wrestling a little bit, when you when you started the program, you said you had twenty guys at the, at the first practice. And what were the institutional goals for starting a wrestling program? 
And how did those stay consistent over the course of nearly five decades there at, at, at King's College? Well, I, I think the, the institutional goals I've always said at King's were to recruit kids and students who want to be athletes. And then in the end, you have to graduate them. They have to do well and graduate. It's always been the goal, and I'm sure that's the goal many other places. And uh, how your retention rate is, et cetera. The pressure is on you making sure they're good students. And uh, I know we've been successful at that. Uh, uh, kids who actually competed for us, over 90% of them graduated. I just saw today from every kid who's come into the school, I just happened to see that statistic today. Over time, uh, everyone who came in and said they were a wrestling recruit, uh, 76% of those kids have graduated over time. So we've actually, obviously we've fulfilled our goals. But I think their idea was to get into the sports mix. They really only had basketball. They had a football program that was on its last leg. It would, it would fade away very shortly afterwards. And they had cross country and baseball. That, those were the only sports they had. So they wanted to expand into a much bigger group of athletics and, of course, building a swimming pool and building a gym. And that's where I'm sitting right now in that gym. Uh, that was a, those were huge goals and to, to populate them with athletes. And, and it's never been a big thing for them to, to do super well as long as they graduate them and everybody feels like they got a good education. You mentioned that, Jim. There's, there's a, a story floating around that when they were building this gym and this wrestling facility, you got kicked out of there several times because you were always trying to get in there and see what they were going to build the wrestling room like. Absolutely. Without question. They led me out the door many times. <laughs> <laughs> what was your excuse when you got in there? They didn't exactly kick me, but well, I just sort of just slipped in. I, <laughs> I, there were, there were plenty of doors and they were always carrying something through one. So I, I kind of walk up behind them and either help them with that piece of wood or whatever they were carrying in or, or just slide in alongside of them. I was pretty good at that. I only weighed about a hundred and 30 pounds, so I could get by. I was a little slim. <laughs> you know, not that far past your fighting weight because, uh, you know, in 1963, you were an NAI All-American at, at Wilkes. And a, a guy that won that weight class, pretty good guy people might have heard of, names, uh, names Hayes Winkle. What do you remember about that time? Hayes Winkle. I remember he was a hell of a wrestler. I came up the other side of the bracket, actually, and I and the semis, I wrestled a kid from Bloomsburg who was a pretty tough kid. But just a couple of years ago, there was a phone number at uh, Haynes Winkles were coaching somewhere down south, and I knew him. He was a he was the uh, he was a Greco uh, Olympian for us, and his son was later a D one wrestler at Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma State, and also represented us in the Olympics. So it was quite a family, and we had a nice talk. We had a great talk. He remembered who I was, but I wasn't a, an Olympic champion by any means there, but. Uh, he was uh, uh, just a great guy and a good, a good guy to talk to. Yeah, and just to avoid confusion, since there were twin Hayeswinkles, it was it was yeah. Jim. Jim was the weight class, and uh, yeah, Sam was in the Olympian 2012 wrestling for Oklahoma. Just so we we, we get our uh, right, our, right, our, our, yeah. our story straight about which Hayeswinkle was which. But one thing we know about the Hayeswinkles, I'm guessing they never stopped smiling or laughing during that conversation. They were great. They were, they were just great wrestlers, and they were very classy opponents. I mean, I only remember them being total gentlemen uh, throughout the whole competition. And there were a couple of crazy guys running around, but they weren't that. They were, they were very tough guys and, at the same time, 
very, very, very nice guys. Like I had no hesitation calling him a couple of years back when I saw his name on a, an invitation to a tournament. Yeah. Good guys. I think they switched weights the next year. I think they switched weights the next year. His brother was a runner-up, I think. Yeah. During that time when King starts to, you know, the, the wrestling program has started, the NCAA is undergoing some changes about Division One. Division, back then it was, you know, university yeah. and college division. Ultimately, Kings makes the decision as as to be a Division Three school. What do you remember about uh, the department's conversations? Like, what do we do here? They're they're, they're splitting us up. What do we do? <laughs> well, the first the first thing was we were in in D two, and that was really a basketball uh, situation. The basketball team had five six scholarships, whatever the maximum was. And when we started, we were supposed to get a couple scholarships, and of course, as as all the time, whenever it amounts to money schools started to cut back and, and uh, they, we did cut back. So we were in division two uh, without scholarships. And even though we took a couple of kids to nationals, but it, only if they were in the East or whatever. And, and we had a couple of kids almost placed. They, they'd get to the blood round or something and lose. But uh, it was, it was a, it was a tougher situation. And then when we went to the uh, college division, uh, we, we were, we stayed in the college division for couple of years and then they split that into the uh, D2 and D3. And uh, obviously we were a little better in D3 where we were actually competing like we should. But we wrestled a lot of D1 schools just to, until we got into the Mid-Atlantic Conference, which at that time was pretty uh, pretty large and actually had a couple of D3 schools in it, uh, Hostra, Temple, Drexel. So there were some good schools in there at that time too who were D1 schools. But, uh, you know, it was still better competition uh, in a D3 setting for us as time went on. Like many Division three coaches currently, uh, a lot of them have other jobs. Like, you know, you were an educator for a long time, retiring uh, yeah. in 1999. What was it like to balance college coaching and teaching <laughs> at a nearby high school? Almost unbelievable. You have to have a family that really you can trust in and that they trust in you. Uh, the time that consumed was terrible. You know, I had to run right out of school, run over here, have practice, and then stay afterwards and do all the other things, maybe make a phone call on recruiting, uh, set up a schedule, uh, go to, a, you know, see who else was interested in having a dual meet next year. All those things had to be done on a part-time schedule. But I, I'm not sure Kings would have started the program if that hadn't happened. And uh, later on, and I made a decision, I probably could have hung around and hoped they go to a full-time coach, but I, uh, teaching became much more lucrative and with a family. But at the same time, you know, they were nothing but support and they have been for all these 48 years. So you, you were pretty much part-time the entire time. Is that right? Yeah. Until, until 2000, I retired from teaching and I came over and worked uh, uh, for the admissions office and wrestling. In fact, that's the, the decision that's being right now, uh, made right now, whether we'll go, uh, D one and it's all economics. I, I just went over it with the athletic director just literally an hour ago, and and we went over the the different ideas and how she has to break it down. Now she's a very good AD, and she she just broke it down with me, so I know how they were making those decisions. And it's a, it's a spreadsheet. It says where we're going and how much it's going to cost. And if we get a couple more students out of this, then we can go this way or. I'll go the other way, but she has to break that down now for like a 10 year period in order to justify anything. So, and it wasn't like that when I started, I'll tell you that. 
And you talk about the the, the longevity. Who's gonna Who's gonna come in after you? That type of thing. Or you talk about something school wide? Yeah. Well, well, no. This this would be for the wrestling program, uh, and it may impact school wide. But we've begun hiring full time coaches in so many of the sports. Um, you know, like women's uh, soccer, women's lacrosse. Um, schools like that we have i think we have 20 sports now 21 we're the odd one out but i'm talking to them about women's wrestling i think it'd be a great opportunity for young women to learn the, the disciplines and the strength and the character that you build in wrestling you know we've seen some great coaches retire oh, that have had long tenures uh gary taylor is finishing up his 39th year at Ryder. he just finished up the d1 championships a couple weeks ago uh, you know, just a couple of years before you, Steve Eldridge stepped down at the Coast Guard Academy. He was there for for over forty five years. And what what was some of your best memories of some of these guys that you coached against for decades? Is like like who are your favorite guys to coach against, and who are some guys that you you were like, man, I really don't want to coach against this guy tonight. <laughs> we we actually, I always had a very collegial race relationship. It's, it's very odd for me not to get along very well with whatever coach I'm, I, I'm against. John Loggenslucker down at Wilkes, we were just on the phone this morning. And uh, he's a young man and coming up, and and uh, he's done a great job there. And uh, Brian Brunk down at, uh, at Messiah. There are so many great guys out there. It's really hard to to put those into a message. Uh, and some of them have been kind enough to put me in a message that they make about who they coached against and how they felt. Uh, this is a great sport, especially at this D3 level where we're very collegial. All the coaches get along, whether you're the Wartburg coach or the Augsburg coach or whether you're down with us in, in uh, the MAC conference somewhere on the East Coast. It's, been, it's just been a great coach. I love the young guys. The young guys are doing just fabulous jobs uh, as far as coaching is concerned. And some of the older guys like Steve Eldridge, you know, those years went by. They went by quick. Uh, some guys have Kings Kings never felt like they were they wanted to force me out for any reason with age et cetera et cetera. It was never like that here. You know they were always a, it was my decision when it came to stepping down and and a couple other guys I know older guys have had to step down or people got sick. But White Hill at at uh, in, in the uh, at like Homing he got sick and he came back for a year more and then the next year he passed away. So. You know, you go through an awful lot of people. I remember the older guys wondering whether I could handle the job. <laughs> and now it's those probably is those young guys wondering whether I can handle a job too. But it's 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 been always a great relationship, especially at this level. You know, earlier I'd asked what, what the administration's goals were. What were your personal goals coming in? Obviously, graduating wrestlers and, and putting fine men into society is going to be, you know, tops on anybody's list. But uh, you know, what was the importance of, of winning or was there a focus on, you know, being competitive, a full lineup, numbers? What were your personal goals as a coach of this program? Well, everything has to start with trying to get a lineup. You know, you want to you want a lineup, you want a decent lineup so you can put them out there. And uh, you want to have a chance for the kids to win because then they'll perform better. But obviously, the first year I started without even anything like a recruiting class, and, and we managed to win two meets, and and uh, you know, and we competed. And really, when you when they're coming into this, uh, I think Ryder was starting their program, TC and J at that time, Trenton State. They were starting uh, one school that started has failed, Baptist Bible College up here in uh, Clark Summit, not too far from here. 
but the others obviously have succeeded very well from those early years and 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 that was important but i wanted no question i wanted to win but i had a tendency to think that 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 i was going to be a better coach or they were going to be better athletes and i and i would compete you know we over the years we've competed against uh princeton army you know we've We've taken our licks. We've gone places. A lot of schools that were good wrestling schools have dropped the sport, and some of them are now coming back, which I love. I just think that's great. And uh, it's one of those things when I started, I really wanted to be super successful. Early in those years, uh, maybe I applied a couple other places, but as time went on, I realized that this is probably a good place for me, a place where I was level and where we could compete hard and afterwards shake hands and and leave the gym and I'd be mad at myself if we lost, but never mad at the kids because they, they always gave me all I needed to do. So we're, we're pretty lucky when you, when you're, uh, when you think of it. And we've, we've had our successes, obviously, uh, when you're a, uh, when you're competing in a national championship finals with an individual, that's a great goal. That's just a wonderful place to be. And, uh, so hopefully that's the way it will continue. And I'm very confident. Well, you mentioned wrestling in the championship finals. Your first All-American came in 1988. Two years later, 1990, you had your first finalist, the same guy, Larry Danko. What do you what do you remember about him coming on campus, and what was it like for you to experience that and say, we've got an All-American that I've coached here, and it, yeah, it's taken 20 years, but you know, what was that feeling like, and what was it about Larry that uh, that made him such a a, a a phenomenal wrestler? Yeah, I just spoke to Larry uh, Larry's family yesterday. He just he just bought another. He he runs a gymnasium here that he built from scratch, and he just got a second uh, place on the other side of the river, maybe eight or ten miles from here. Uh, Larry is a great guy. Uh, he was a great athlete. He actually he went to Wilkes, and I I don't know what happened, but he he dropped out and uh, was going to Luzerne County Community College here locally, and I I spotted him running up a mountain. He was a physical fitness stunt. I started him running up the mountain, pulled over my car and talked to him and called him later. And he came down and we got him into Kings. And of course, he was absolutely successful for the three years he competed here. Um, just a great guy and a very successful businessman here locally. He's got a wonderful family. His daughter, uh, I don't know whether she's a senior or she just graduated from here at Kings too. So he's got a, he's got a great family. He's been a super success. And then, then the Morgans, there's two brothers. I had two Riley brothers that wrestled for me. So when you're competing like that, you know. Were you talking about the Morgans? You know, Jim Morgan made the finals 2003 along with uh, Mitchell Marks. So he had two in the finals. And then at 2007, David Morgan breaks through. He's your first national champion. And then he wins it again in 2008. As a coach, what does it mean to win, to see one of your kids win a national title? Because it doesn't happen for everybody. No, it doesn't. And he, and he was a poised, uh, by that time he had gained huge confidence. The, the, the kid from Augsburg who he beat when he was a junior, the first championship had beaten him the year before, uh, in the opening round of nationals. And he battled back to take sixth. and, you know, so he was a three time all American, but he was just a, he bowed and that was a tough match and he vowed he'd get back there and be in better shape. And, and that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. So he'd be an Augsburg kid and a Wartburg kid in the finals. So he did all right. He did all right. Yeah, with the landscape of Division Three wrestling, with those two programs r- ruling 
for the last 20 years or so. When you're, you're, you're bringing kids on campus and you're talking about success, what is the measure of success for your program year in, year out? The measure of success, I think, is to, is to get your kids uh, to, to have confidence in themselves in all sorts of ways. But the number one way, of course, is to have the composure to win. And um, sometimes it just isn't there. The last couple of years, we've had kids on the brink, and they haven't quite got to nationals. And that's our step now. Uh, the new coach will have to have that for his first big step to, to break through and get some guys at nationals and then, then to move on and, and uh, have them succeed as All-Americans. And then hopefully we'll get back to the national finals again. That would be the next step. Your announcement came in late January that you were going to be stepping down. What went into that decision, and, and how difficult was it actually to say, you know what, almost 50 years of my life has been consumed by this school and this program. What what was that discussion like when you first brought it up to the administrators, be like, this this is it's now going to be time? Well, mostly I, I the energy to run a full practice, I, I don't know. The intensity you have to have to run a practice with high intensity so the kids are, are practicing hard for that hour and 45 minutes or two hours early in the year, uh, that's about all the time you can take. And so you have to have tremendous intensity. You're not sitting down in a corner or anywhere. You're not telling them what to do. You're walking between them the whole time, et cetera. That became a chore. And once that becomes a chore, I think uh, you're probably finished. You know, you probably had it. So, uh that, that would probably be the thing that made me feel all of a sudden I realized it was getting hard to get that two, that two hours together to really run a practice with full energy. And, and the assistants take over, but it isn't the same for you emotionally or mentally. When you have to go in and, and you're recruiting kids and the recruiting angle is different in Division Three. There's, there's no scholarships. You're looking at, you know, what financial grants and things you can bring on. But when, when – you're, you're sitting there and, and, and you're older than the parents by a considerable amount. Does that, does that change the recruiting discussion? Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. I was older than the parents. <laughs> yeah. The, the parents always seem that the kids, I think would always sit, look at me and go, she's, you know, I really like this guy or maybe, maybe they said they didn't like him, but the most important thing they would think is how is this guy going to make me better? And then you have to show them that, or they have to talk to your, you would get your kids to come over and talk to them and hopefully bring them up on an overnight and have them meet the team and, and what, what it's all about, you know, what, what we're about as a, uh, as a program. So yeah, probably in the last couple of years, a lot of my recruiting has come through um, the, the academic majors and other things that happen, you know, when you're competing. What was one thing that was special about being able to draw kids to King's College? I mean, what type of school is it for those who are unfamiliar that, that say this this is a draw for the ultra-competitive landscape that is Division Three wrestling in Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, Pennsylvania is a great wrestling state. And the local area always had really good athletes uh, who probably didn't make it to the state championship level in most cases. But many of our very successful athletes are, are local kids, too. And uh, we were fourth in the national dual championships, and we wrestled. In fact, we wrestled Augsburg in the semis, and they beat us. But we, we were competitive, and I enjoyed the, the competition. And uh, they said, in fact, Coach walked up to me afterwards. He said, these are all local kids, and they were. 
only one kid had a different area code. So it was a it was a group from northeastern Pennsylvania, and even he was barely over the line. So it was it was it was a great opportunity. What is the best thing about being able to coach kids that are not there on scholarship? They're there because they love the sport of wrestling. Yeah, well, the best thing there is probably you, if you if you only have one or two scholarships, which some division three, which division one programs try to operate with, everybody's equal. So they all know they're there and that, that they're all getting what they're what they deserve, but they uh, they nobody's getting a lot of extras. And you, you, know, you try, you help them in class, and you get them to the tutors, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody is pretty equal, and they all have the same opportunities, and and that's good. There's very little jealousy, and the team works well together. Now you coached over 900 dual meets. And there's got to be a couple that still jump out at you, man. I remember whether it's for the 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 sixties or the seventies, whatever. What was some of the what was like your favorite dual meet memory earlier in your career? And then we'll maybe get one that's that's probably from the later in your career. I'm just curious. You've got probably got stories upon stories. I'm just trying to tap into those. No, no, Jim. We we used to wrestle Oswego, and at the time they had they had three kids who had been to nationals last year. One of them was a national runner up, and we were going up there to wrestle a dual meet. And there were 10 weight classes. It was the old, when the decision was three, a, a pin was six time. And uh, we we uh, we went up there and we actually, they won the first five matches. We came back and lost, uh, won the last five. And I believe we got a fall at heavyweight. We actually won the dual meet. And they were a very good team. Very, very good wrestling team that we, I'm sure they considered that a, a, a bad loss. And we considered it a heck of a win. You know, Jimmy Howard was the coach. He, he was a great D3 coach for sure at Oswego State and a runner-up Division One national champion at one time. Yeah, and, you've, you know, it's speaking of schools in New York, there's Oswego, but then, you know, Don Murray's still coaching at Brockport. I mean, yeah, I'm sure your paths have crossed. He's still there. Yeah. I mean, what? Are, give me a Don Murray story. I got to have one. <laughs> Don Murray is always – we were at a national tournament, and, and he's very di- – much a disciplined guy and we had one kid and he probably had six or seven but we were at the national tournament up in up at the coast guard academy as a matter of fact and and don was so mad at one of his kids the kid was just standing in the lobby waiting for him and he, he didn't realize that don had, had left instead he should find his own way there so i just i threw him in the back of the car <laughs> and we took him down yeah, because uh, Don Don's still pretty pretty active in these coaches meetings. You know? <laughs> oh, just... he's he is really he's the opposite of me. I'm a listener. He's the guy who wants to tell you, you know, what you should be doing, et cetera. He's he's a good character. I like him. He's got a good sense of humor. We've never been up on the Brockport campus. We were I was I was up in uh, Rochester the other day, and and his coaches were there, and he uh, he's still pretty funny. He's still pretty funny. They all know him, that's for sure. It seems that Division Three lends itself to have a lot of characters coaching. And uh, what, what are what are some <laughs> of the things that you've learned about your colleagues in coaching that could probably only happen in Division Three? Well, you, you know, you, you, Division Three is one of those funny things. You might be uh, you might go to uh, to have a match at home, and and you're out there helping the role of the match with the kids, and the team is rolling the match. Uh, you're not going to find that too much on the D1 level, I don't think. But uh, 
And when you travel, sometimes you're in vans and, and then you've got all sorts of things. We had a, got a flat tire on a Saturday morning. Uh, and it's tough to find a place that doesn't have a lot of people lined up at it when you want to change a tire or you want to get a new tire. Very difficult. So uh, it, there, there are great things in D3, but you end up, you know, sometimes if the laundry basket has been moved to the, to the room where the washing machine is, you got to do that. You're not going to look around for anybody else. To do it. You're just going to get behind it and push it wherever it needs to be. When we look at the landscape of Division Three wrestling, is it, you know, there's, there's, you know, every level is going to have it, its quirks, and of course we know that Division Three is non-scholarship, and right now one of the hot button topics is is the realignment, and one of the one of the points that is often brought up is that Kings and Wilkes are. You know, like you said, 150 yards from one another. They're in different regions for qualification. You know, <laughs> what do you say about that? Now, now that you're done coaching, you can you can just go off, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well the, the the real thing is that you you want to uh, you know you want to have teams like us close together. We compete against each other or in the same gym three four times a year, and um, it's kind of ridiculous for us to be here. But I I think part of that D three thing is is geography and, and figures in there and that can be very difficult if you're driving four hours to have a dual meet uh you're not a happy guy you know you're not a happy guy and hopefully that's uh it's not happening uh to us uh too much longer i think that certainly we're going to make the change there's all sorts of new schools coming in and some of them are southern schools we wrestled in roanoke last year in, in our in our uh regional and that was a five-hour drive for us, so it's a pretty good haul. Yeah, and then five hours home after it's over, which is the more difficult haul, I think. Yeah, and and growing up in Virginia, I know that I eighty-one that time of year can can be great or it can be treacherous. So, and then I lived in right. Pennsylvania, so I know all about it from all the way down to Southwest Virginia, all the way into PA. So I, I can share your pain there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a difficult ride, but. At least it's a straight ride from here. 81 almost, you know, cuts off the corner of Wilkesbury, and so we just hop on here and just a forever drive, you know, over five hours. Now, do you still drive the vans, or do you let your assistants do that? I had to do that once this year. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> one of our one of our assistants uh, ended up going in for military service, and uh, and so it was down to just myself and and Adam Haley, who's. Uh, the number one assistant and Adam uh, had to, uh, uh, I had to be the other driver. It was only over to like Coleman Williamsport, which is about an hour and a half away. And so it wasn't too bad, but, uh, but still it was a, it was a pain in the neck you know, <laughs> to drive those vans. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I'm just also curious. So there's gotta be strange road trips. I mean, back in the day when uh, there wasn't the internet and scheduling was, was more, it was phone calls and, uh, and letters. And you couldn't, and you didn't know when you were late. I mean, if, you know, if you go, we were late, you couldn't even get in touch with people. But you'd have to go find a, a pay phone if you were lucky. Dump a quarter in it. You know, we, like I said, when those cars broke down, we ended up missing most of those roomies. So I think we wrestled one instead of the three we were supposed to be at. And then you'd be driving in the snow and the snow would come down and the weather reports probably weren't as good. And you would uh, uh, be driving and all of a sudden realize that, uh, uh, you were in three or four feet of snow, and they'd probably close the road. No, not good. <laughs> There's one coach I do want to get a couple a couple of 
stories and insight on. And this show is named the Ice Hour in honor of Dave Eisenhower, who was at you know TCNJ, uh, great guy, the Trenton State as it was known back then. And what are some some mm-hmm. some stories you have about Ice in his in his heyday at Trenton State slash TCNJ? Well, he was always a character, and the funniest thing he was, he was a pretty healthy guy. Probably drank too much soda, but uh, <laughs> other stuff. So I never I was shocked when he all of a sudden, uh, you know, told me he was ill. And, and like I said, we were close enough. Uh, we would be in touch. We were in the same conference or the Metropolitan Conference for a while. We were in the same, uh, any kind of a regional, of course, led us into the same place. The last, one of the last things he did was working for the NCAA. He was a, uh, um, he, he was the representative from the NCAA when we hosted the regional here. But in any case, he came up, and, and it was there were some tremendous arguments. The thing, and the one coach was so mad at us afterwards. He told us he, he hated us, he disrespected the two of us because we held to the NCAA line. We would get the seating done through their new system, and we we did hold through it. And and I was happy we did. It was something we just had to do. But I, I, I afterwards, Ice was laughing at me. He said, "Can you imagine that the guy disrespects us?" <laughs> And I, I wouldn't mention him now because once again, uh, you know we're, uh, we're we're collegial at this level, and hopefully he he's got a little better feeling about the two of us now after three or four years. Been talking with Coach Ned McGinley, the now retired coach at Kings. That's King with an apostrophe S, not to be confused with the Division Two school in Bristol, Tennessee, which is King. It's Kings with an S. They are the Monarchs. That's something I like. My alma mater is the Monarchs at Old Dominion, so. Uh, always kind of followed what, to, what what the other monarchs in wrestling are doing but uh, coach beginley i appreciate the time and, and the knowledge we could probably go on for hours about this but uh, i just want maybe oh, yeah. your, your final thoughts to try to sum up 48 years of division three coaching i mean what how can you sum this up well uh, the, the first thing is as soon as you say old dominion i think gray simons so you know how i sum it up we used to wrestle at the wilkes open every year and uh, Gray was there, and I would go over to find a place uh, where a guy like Gray Simons would be demonstrating some wrestling holds to his own team or to a bunch of guys standing around. And I think that's really, uh, even to this day, when uh, I was brought into the Hall of Fame here, the National Hall of Fame, but here in the Pennsylvania chapter, Gray Simons was one of the guys, along with John Reese, who was giving me my uh, my plaque. And when I think of those things, I know that I made the right choice to do this for all these 48 years. It's been a great opportunity to wrestle, to wrestle against some great schools like Osberg and Mortberg and, and all the things that we've done. So I'm very, I'm very, very happy. I'm a very happy place. Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.